Welcome to the Optimal Bio Podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Welcome everybody to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Today, we are honored to have Christian Davis with us, a nurse practitioner who is our primary and only provider uh, in our Charlottesville location. Uh, She is new to Optimal Bio, and I love doing these podcasts because today we get to introduce Christian uh, to the rest of our our user world and our listeners. And um, why don't we just get started? So welcome, Christian. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, you're welcome. Hey, listen, um, you know, sometimes uh, it's much easier for uh, the guest to, uh, you know, introduce themselves and tell the world a little bit about your background. So I'm going to go ahead and toss it back to you and let us learn more about you. Sure. Um, well, again, my name's Christian Davis. Um, and I started with Optimal Bio just in March and officially started in this office in Charlottesville, Virginia in April. I uh, did a lot of training in North Carolina and a few here as well, but glad to be here. Um, originally, um, I was born in Mexico. I lived, moved to Texas in fourth grade and left in West Texas, far West Texas, middle of nowhere, El Paso, but loved it there. I was there till I left when I was 18 and joined the military and moved to Norfolk. Um, I did four years in the Navy. I was a corpsman. Um, and then when I got out, I did my time and got out. I uh, was a medical assistant for a while at a cardiology office, then transitioned, went to school while working, um, and got my RN and have been working. I started cardiology and then worked intensive care since um, and just progressed. I, I took the long route, so did my medical assistant, my associates, my bachelor's, and then finally my nurse practitioner. Um, but I love it and I'm glad to be here. Excellent. So great background, by the way, and extremely interesting. So we're going to explore that a little bit further. Um, so what part of Mexico did you live in and how did you get to the States? So I'm from Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico, which is border with El Paso, Texas. Um, my brother, um, is a U.S. citizen and he lived in uh, El Paso and convinced my mom to move to El Paso. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just followed, I don't know, I was little, so <laughs> I didn't have a choice in the matter, but, um, my mom figured moving to the U S would give me more opportunities. Um, so uh, like I said, I moved there in fourth grade and it sure did. It opened up a lot of doors and, um, got to join the Navy. So, yeah. So growing up in El Paso, what was it like doing that? Um, I, it was different. Um, so when I lived in Mexico, uh, definitely more like, even though um, the city I grew up in was a big city, the area I grew up in was small town feeling. So all my neighbors basically sold something or uh, the people right next door made tortillas, fresh flour tortillas. And the one after that, she sold ice cream and she was a nurse. So she was like the local nurse if you needed shots or anything. Um, the corner people, they had a whole little store with a butcher shop and a game room you know, to go to the arcades. Now I'm aging myself, but um, you'd go to the arcade there and play. Um, so it was fun. And then moved to the U.S., definitely bigger city vibes even though it's not huge, but it was definitely different. Um, you know, it's tough. You know, you go from only speaking Spanish to learning English, but um, it was great. I enjoyed it. Um, made some great friends I'm still in touch with to this day. And um, just get you get to see a little bit of both worlds, right? So, so what's that like? You know, you coming in, you're, you don't speak any English and, you know, as arrogant Americans, sometimes we assume that, you know, when we go to these other countries, um, 
You know, it seems like a lot of people are bilingual. We don't tend to be bilingual in our country. Um, so, and quite frankly, we expect other people to be bilingual. Um, uh, I can't imagine, you know, being reversed and I'm in fourth grade and I have to, I moved a lot as a kid, but it was up and down the East Coast. It wasn't, you know, two different countries. And I just can't imagine, you know, I remember moving in fourth grade, in fact, from Maryland to New Jersey and just being plucked into a new classroom. So um, I just can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, not only being plucked and moving to a new classroom, but also now you got to learn a whole new language. So how did you overcome that? What'd you do? It was tough, of course, but um, the part I got a little bit lucky on is that El Paso is pretty bilingual for the most part. It's majority Hispanic. Um, so you know, in school, I did have to learn English, and but I, I've always liked learning, so it wasn't. I was always a little bit of a nerd, so it came easy. And I think as we're, you know, when you're a kid and you're thrown into that situation, kids are so adaptable. It just it was so much easier for me to adjust. I think it's harder as adults to learn a new language or be in a new situation with kids. You just kind of go, I don't know. I just went with the flow and just take it day by day. But, um, you know, I was in bilingual classes for the first year. And then after that, I was just in a regular class. And, um, but a lot of my friends did speak Spanish as well. And at home I spoke Spanish. Um, I think I watched Spanish television all the way till I joined the Navy. Um, and for the most part, most of my, even in the regular world was Spanglish. <laughs> so a little half Spanish, a little half English. Um, and then until I joined the Navy and then, you know, I had to adjust again to just speaking English, of course, um, you know, cause you're in a military vessel. So you don't want to be speaking different languages and, um, mostly everyone of course spoke English. So you can, I had to adjust to watching TV in English only cause we had one TV for the whole birthing. Um, so it just kind of, it helped me, um, with my language skills, uh, definitely improved my English, um, just getting thrown into it. And, uh, unlike before where I could just rely on the most people speak some Spanish around me. Nah, I just had to figure it out. And so it, it kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, do you think the, the bilingual classrooms helped out the most or was it just culture in general where you're just, you know, you're going to the grocery store with your mother and you're sometimes going to the movies or you're doing different things and you're, you're just getting immersed in it. I think at, that first year did help. Um, cause I didn't know anything. Um, so that first year was definitely beneficial. I think had I stayed in a bilingual class, it might've been more detrimental, uh, cause you, you know, you have that crutch. And so I think being thrown into regular classes, then it forces you to work a little harder. And um, I was always my mom's translator. My mom, as hard as she tried, just could never get to speak English. She could read it, she could write it, she could understand it, but she always had a little bit of a speech impediment, even in Spanish. Uh, so English was just, it was just not her. She couldn't do it. Um, so I was always her translator. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So you're in high school and, you know, you're getting ready to graduate and you're, you know, you're thinking about the, the next stage of your life. Um, why the Navy? Like what, was there somebody that, you know, you looked up to that suggested it or you just love being in the, on the water? Like what, what was your motivation to do the Navy? No. Um, of course, none of my family had ever been military here or in Mexico or anything. Um, when I was a senior, and actually I was already enrolled in classes at UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso for um, business management. I actually wanted to do hotel, restaurant, and tourism management, and at some point transferred to UNLV. Those were my plans, but um, so I I was in a U.S. citizen, so unfortunately I lost the scholarships that I was awarded um, because I was only a resident and they were only for citizens. So I was at a point where I had to figure out how I was going to pay for the classes. We didn't have money uh, when I was growing up. Um, we were on the uh, very low uh, level of, you know, socioeconomic level. So I had to figure out how I was going to pay for the classes. And uh, one day some guy called me and he's like, hey, my name's 
Jim, I guess, uh, from the <laughs> Navy, you took this one test, the ASVAB test, and you did very well. Um, I'd like to talk to you about joining the Navy. We'll pay for your college. And I was like, I, I took that test. He's like, yeah. I was like, I vaguely remember um, one day they said, hey, if you go take this test in the morning, you're off the rest of the day. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that test. So I went and took the test. They just told me it was uh, to determine what I was good at. I didn't really understand that it was for the military. Uh, but and that Friday, I went, talked with him. He told me about the Navy and um, that they would help pay for my school. And I was like, well, I need help paying for school. So sure, let's do it. The next Friday, I was in boot camp. Wow. So I was in, in there for one week and got shipped off. Again, I didn't know anything about the Navy. I didn't know any of the lingo. So I was quite lost when I got to boot camp because um, the military, they, you know, they have their own lingo, um, just like the medical field, you know. So it was definitely a shock. So where'd you go to boot camp? <laughs> I went to Great Lakes uh, in Chicago, by Chicago um, which was beautiful when I was there. I think I was the only person that was really happy to be in boot camp. I had never seen the change of um, from summer to fall. So the change of leaves, because where I grew up, it's desert. So you don't really get to see that. So I got to experience the change from summer to fall. So we'd be marching around, running around. I was just looking around everywhere because it was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the weather gets nicer and um, less humidity. and mm -hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful during the fall. So you graduate from there and then you're assigned, right? So um, what ship were you on? And what were you? You said you were a corpsman, but did you start out as a corpsman? No, apparently I like to do everything the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> so I started off as an E1 undesignated deck seaman, uh, which is the bottom of the barrel. Um, I was sent to the USS Mount Whitney. Um, and we did all the cleaning, but some of the fun stuff we got to do was like, we got to drive the ship. Um, so I got qualified as an expert helmsman and got to drive the ship around. And, um, I did get to drive the ship around the Statue of Liberty once. Uh, so that was a neat experience. Um, but while I was on the ship for nine months, um, I got to experience different jobs throughout the ship. And one day I just we were doing training and there was a corpsman and I asked him, Hey, so what do you do? And so I started doing on the job training with them. Um, so on my spare time, I would go um, to medical and they would just show me around what they did and everything. And I really enjoyed it. And lucky for me, um, our ship was in the middle of a change of, so everyone that could be transitioned to a civilian got to go get new orders. And so I was one of those people. Um, so after nine months, I got to get new orders. Um, so I got to get them very early. And I went to core, core school in Great Lakes again, um, this time during winter. I don't recommend Chicago in the winter. <laughs> uh, that was not a good experience. But um, I enjoyed core school. And then I got sent back to Norfolk and I was at the Naval Hospital. I worked in their ICU there for a while um, before going back to Oceana, working in their medical clinic. Uh, there I got to do uh, some family practice stuff. I got to do some urgent care stuff. Uh, I was an EMT and an ambulance driver. So I got to respond to things around the bases and it was fun. I enjoyed it. So you go from... What kind of ship was it, by the way? Was it a was it a carrier? Was it command ship? Command ship. Okay. Yeah, we're in a command ship. The command ships where the the brass basically command all the fleet, mm -hmm. you know, doing stuff. Okay. Yeah, we had second fleet on our ship, so we just drove them around. <laughs> so you go from cleaning to sometimes driving the ship, and uh, are you thinking during this time that you know you you know want to you know get into medicine? Or was it just happenstance that, you know, you meet somebody and, you know, you start asking about what it's like and then what was the motivation, I guess, to switch? That's, that's really what I'm getting at. Um, when, when, when you're on the ship, you know, you do these drills, you know, to keep the ship safe or in case we are under attack, anything like that. And of course, everyone has a job. And I would always see the corpsmen and I would see them responding sometimes to 
fake medical emergencies or to real medical emergencies. And that always intrigued me. Um, I don't know if it was just the little, I got to see their, you know, their spike and excitement. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And, and so I, I don't know if I was just an adrenaline junkie and I always wanted to be in that. So, yeah, that's the, how I got interested first. So then when you go to Great Lakes and you go through that school, are you being trained? What's What would be the civilian equivalent of your training? Are you coming out as like a medical tech person or an EN, uh, EMT? Or like what, 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 how would you describe that? It's hard to describe. So as corpsman, um, depending on where you work. So I was sent to the Naval Hospital in the ICU. And in the ICU, I took care of the patient. I did everything for the patient that a nurse would do. Um, the only thing that a corpsman couldn't do um, was administer narcotics. Um, but I was with training, of course, you know, but I, at a point I was, I had my own patients just like a nurse would. So at that point, that's when I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be a nurse uh, when I get out. Cause I knew the military wasn't for me. Um, I didn't want to stay in for 20 years, but um, I knew I definitely wanted to be a nurse and I wanted to, be able to help people in the civilian world like I was helping in the military. So if you wanted to be a nurse in the military, would they, was there a program where they offer you to send you to nursing school and then you obviously have to owe them back time um, for that? Yeah, they do. They have, um, you, you, know, you can go to school and do the, I guess the, the officer route um, which, you know, it's great for some people and they really enjoy it. Um, but I didn't really want to stay in the military. Um, but I do know a couple of people that have really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, it's a good option for, you know, if you want to be an officer, have a little higher ranking, make a little bit more money and still do something you love, you know, rather than, uh, get out. So you did the ICU, you did family practice and some other things. Um, what was your favorite while you're in the military? ICU. Yeah. Um, I got to be an EMT and I saw some weird stuff, um, interesting things, but I really liked, um, the ICU just taking care of the patients. Um, and for the most part, when you have your patient, you, you stay with your patient, whatever days you're there. So you get to see them progress a little bit. Um, and make a little bit of a bond with the patient and their families. So you're seeing this, some of this weird stuff in some of the other areas. Um, did your thought on humanity change at all? <laughs> I think even just in the ICU, you know, there's this, you see a whole different side of humanity that sometimes really does disappoint you. Um, we've had lawyers going to the ICU um, trying to collect, child support on someone that's like honestly dying and you're like, why would you come in right now? It just makes you wonder what people are thinking sometimes. Um, but you also get to see the positive side of, you know, humanity and people come together in hard times and um, you get to see the love that people have for others. Um, so you get to see a little bit of both sides. Mm -hmm. No, no desire at this point in time to become a doctor. You just, you want to be a nurse. No, um, no offense to doctors. You know, they, I know they love what I do, they do, but I really enjoyed being a nurse. I like the nursing aspect of it. You get to spend more time with the patients and you really get to, you know, be there for them at all times. You know, the doctor goes in for a few minutes give some orders and they're gone. Um, the nurse is the one that's there, you know, holding their hand. And um, when the wa doctor walks out of the room, you get to explain everything all over again in layman's terms um, so they can ex understand what the doctor just said and kind of break it down and give them their options um, and help them understand that, you know, there's options for everything. Um, just make, help them be better advocates for themselves. So. Okay. So you get out after how many years? I did four years. All right. And then do you go straight to get your associates at that point in time or to your bachelor's? Like where are you at education? I started like working, um, started working in a cardiology office. And after a few months I enrolled in night school, uh, to start working on all my basics I needed for my associates. 
Um, and then once I got accepted and once I finished all my basic or my prereqs, um, and got accepted to nursing school. It was a full-time daytime program. So I had to quit my job there and I started working at an urgent care clinic because they had nighttime hours and weekends. So um, I was doing school and um, working on urgent care. And then what motivated you to get your NP degree? Um, uh, I think just, so I worked in ICU, well, at the office first and cardiology, which I loved it. Um, I did stress testing on patients. I got to run people on treadmills and do all that. And, and then I switched back to what I really enjoyed doing, which was intensive care. Um, and, you know, I just, you get to see a different aspect of things, um, going from like an office to a hospital being in the hospital helped me understand, um, you know, the, how to better, um, ensure that my patients, when they leave the hospital, they had the tools they needed to stay out of the hospital and knowing that if certain little things had just been done outside of the hospital, the patient wouldn't be in the hospital right now. Um, you know, so that kind of motivates that. And, and then also, um, I was married and my husband was diagnosed with, um, glioblastoma, which is a type of brain cancer. Um, and so we got to, we saw a lot of doctors, but also we got to see a lot of, uh, nurse practitioners. And I always felt like that my connection with the nurse practitioners, um, with my husband and I was, a lot stronger than with the doctor. The nurse practitioner was always there to same thing, kind of break things down and, you know, walk us through things, uh, help us with things that we would need at home. Um, you know, cause the visit isn't just about the treatment. It's about a whole life adjustment, um, for this. And so I really admired that and I wanted to be, that really encouraged me to get my degree and, um, to go to school to hopefully someday, you know, be able to help people, not just by giving them a medication and sending them home, but by really helping them in their life to make better decisions, to help, you know, with, for that, whatever they need at home to have a better quality of life. So you're going through all of your education and everything else and then you have to care for a loved one uh, with a very serious illness. Um, how did you do all that? How did you overcome all that? Honestly, just prayer. <laughs> um, definitely, there's times in life where you just have to you just have to pray about it, and that's all. Because I didn't have the strength by myself to do it. I was when he was originally diagnosed. I was in nursing school still. Um, and uh, nursing school is a very demanding program. Um, the you, know, you do clinicals, you have classes and all that. Um, so it definitely took a lot of just prayer. And to this day, I don't understand why I got the strength for some of the stuff that I did. Um, and all I can all I can say is God helped me through it because um, I know physically and mentally and emotionally, if I was by myself, I couldn't have. Um, and, you know, I had some family come from Texas and help me at sometimes with some housework that needed to be done to adjust for, um, not being able to use the upstairs. Um, and I had friends that would, um, cause I had to pay for a, like a, someone to stay during the day with him while I was at work to ensure he was okay. Um, which got really expensive. So I, fortunately I was blessed with friends that would, take some days and just go and hang out with him. Um, so I didn't have to pay someone else to go. Um, so definitely blessed by that. Um, but yeah. Um, that's an amazing story. Uh, so then the you finish up your nurse practitioner degree and then where do you go after that? So, um, 
I finished my nurse practitioner. I was still working in ICU in Virginia Beach. Um, and I worked through the pan, you know, the two years of the pandemic. And so I was ready to, <laughs> I was ready for a change to say the least. Uh, that was definitely very, very, very rough two years in the ICU. Um, so I was just going online, looking for different jobs. I knew I didn't want to be in the hospital anymore. Um, I didn't want to really do a specialty like, um, that. I didn't want to be just a pill pusher. I didn't want to be in a clinic where they're just concerned about numbers and pushing people through um, or prescribing something and just that's it. Uh, I wanted to do something that would make a true difference in someone's life. Um, I just didn't know what it was. Um, I, so I would go online and just look through different job openings um, and research different companies. And I came up on the Optimal Bio um, job opening. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so uh, I started looking into it. And I had heard about some parts of, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement, a little bit about it. And I've always been into function. You know, I've heard about functional medicine. And I've always tried to do more holistic um, at least for myself. Um, and so I went in there and started really cyber stalking Optimal Bio, <laughs> listening to the podcast. I was like, I like this. I like, you know, what they do. And I started seeing the difference it makes on people um, by different um, YouTube videos I would find online and seeing different people's experience with hormone replacement. And it really intrigued me. So I was like, okay. So I applied, um, did my interviews, and I really liked um, not only from the recruiter that talked to me to, of course, Tyler and Dr. Brennan, um, they really just care about helping the patients. It's not about, you know, just money or, you know, it's about the patients and especially Dr. Brennan. Oh, my gosh. He's so into helping people and making a difference and seeing helping everyone get educated on how wonderful this is. It was infectious. I was like, oh, I want, uh, yeah, I want some of that too. <laughs> so. did, did you ever think you'd be on the podcast? No, <laughs> um, not at all. <laughs> How's it going so far? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> now tell me. I don't know. <laughs> you're doing well. You're doing well so far. Um, I don't want to understate the your faith component. Um, so I want to go back to that a little later on, but I do want to uh, kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you um, obviously worked in the healthcare system for a while. Um, you experienced healthcare from a, a, you know, a patient advocate, I guess, um, you know, having to care for your husband and having, and he's going through, you know, treatments during that time and everything else. Um and you mentioned a couple of times about, you know, didn't want to be a pill pusher at the end of the day. Um, if from your experiences, though, on that side of it, you know, what are if you were to continue and somebody gave you a mandate, you know, to, to make that side of healthcare better, you know, what are some of the things that you would do? I think. A lot of putting these time constraints on making it about the numbers. I know when I was going through a lot of my clinicals or working in different clinics, it was all about the number of patients you had to see in a day. So I mean, even working in the cardiology office, these cardiologists were seeing 30 plus patients a day. That's a lot of patients for people that have very intricate issues. Um, most of them had not only heart problems, but from heart problems, you end up with kidney problems um, and a myriad of other things. They're on. I, I had a patient bring three bags, like grocery bags, full of pills. One was the morning pills, one was the nighttime pills, the other one was PRN pills or vitamins and supplements. And I was like, how do you you know, go through all of that. How do you, how do you truly have a good appointment with a patient when you have 15 minutes and they have all of this? 
So I think um, a lot of it is this time, same thing in the family practice office, you know, they're like, oh, you have to see so many patients a day or else they're going to, you know, cut your pay. Um, so these people are just, you know, they're trying to make these numbers happen. And unfortunately, the patient's the one that suffers because you have 15 minutes to review whatever information you, you may, they may have. And of course, it's hard to, you know, for the patients to get in. So they're trying to tell you, five things that have been going on our year. And you're like, I have time for one of them. I don't know. We'll have to talk to you later about the rest because I don't have time for that. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of it goes down to that. And I saw that all, all the time. I don't know. And we'd have patients come into the hospital, especially I always ask patients if they come in with issues like, what happened? How did you end up here? Um, so I'd have young patients that would come in with uh, strokes, bleeds from uncontrolled high blood pressure. And I always ask, what happened? Did you not take your medication? Um, did you not know how important it was? And most of the time, the answer was the same. Well, they told me I had high blood pressure, but I felt fine. So I didn't think I needed to take the pill. And I asked him, like, well, did no one ever talk to you about what high blood pressure is and what it can, what can happen, like strokes? Well, no, they just told me I had high blood pressure and to take the pill. And so I feel like we need more time and education for providers, you know, make sure that you're telling the patient what it is in layman's terms. Like make sure that you don't say, oh, well, you have hypertension. Uh, you need to take this pill once a day. Well, what the heck is hypertension? I don't know. I feel fine. That's why they call it the silent killer, right? Because it's you feel fine until it's too late. Um, so I don't know. I, there's so much, there's really just so much, um, pharma, pharmaceuticals. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies just keep making pills to patch up stuff, but we're not really focused on treating patients from the root cause. We're treating symptoms. That's it. That's how the money is made, unfortunately. No, it's true. And obviously there's a benefit too of, um, prescribing for symptom because you'll mitigate the symptom, but you're not going to get rid of the uh, cause. And as a result, it's a, it's a revenue stream for forever you now until the patient either no longer needs a medication because there's other reasons or the patient passes away. Um, the one thing about optimal bio, when I got involved, uh, I had experiences with traditional medicine, just like everybody else has had. And, uh, um, you know, having then learning from Dr. Branding and learning about the alternative and about um, a lot of things that cause certain things. Um, and with Optimal Bio's motto now of, you know, really trying to optimize health so you can hopefully avoid, you know, having to go to a regular doctor, um, uh, I think is, is something that, you know, took me a long time to figure out. Um, and I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to, to be exposed to Dr. Brandon about that. Um, you kind of already were, I guess, leaning more the optimal way as you were looking for your new job anyhow. Um, but at the end of the day, you come on board and, um, you're trained. Um, and you know, I didn't know your background until today. So now that I know your background, um, I feel even better about, you know, having you in Charlottesville because, you know, you, <laughs> you get trained, you come down to North Carolina, Dr. Brandon goes up, you know, every now and then, and then now you're on your own and it's you and, and a patient coordinator. And it's in essence, it's your practice. I mean, you're, you're connected to us, but you're also, um, could be good or bad. You're on an Island out here sometimes. So, um, how was the transition from, you know, working in a family practice, working at a hospital, you know, where there's always a bunch of other people around to now almost being in your own, you know, little practice with, you know, one or two people. Honestly, the way the the communication is between everyone and in, in the company, I don't feel alone. There we have uh, the chats. So I have a chat with all the other uh advanced care providers, so the PAs and NPs, we're always, if we have questions, we're always asking there. I know that every time I've called or text messaged Dr. Brandon with a question, he always answers right away. 
Um, so I know I'm never going to be alone. If I have questions about anything, they're there. And we'd like to update each other on our little chat and, you know, talk about different scenarios, things like that. So you really don't feel alone, um, which is wonderful. Um, but honestly, I have to say we have the best view out of all offices. I've never been to the other ones, but just from the talks I've had with them, we have beautiful views, so it kind of helps a little. <laughs> well, I've been to all the other office locations except for Charlottesville, so I got to believe there's no other views. So I think you're uh, you're, you're probably going to win no matter what. Um, I have the mountains and a little lake, <laughs> a little pond back there. It's beautiful. Very nice. And you obviously relocated to the Charlottesville area. Yes, I did. I just officially moved here in April. And how's that? How was that transition? Good. Uh, the traffic's much better. Um, that Hampton Roads traffic is something else, um, especially the tunnels and everything. So it's really nice to be here. There's, I know patients will tell me there's traffic, but comparatively to Hampton Roads, there is no traffic here. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, and just waking up and seeing the mountains every day. And it's just absolutely beautiful. So I really like it. And there's tons to do around here. There, I feel like I have enough for numerous years to keep me busy. So, so obviously, you know, the, it sounds like your faith carried you through some difficult times. Um, you know, ha, have you had conversations at times with other people where, um, you know, they're going through some tough situations and, you know, they, they go the opposite way. They, you know, tend to be mad, you know, they're, you know, why is it, why me? Why, why my loved one? Why, you know, why is this happening to me? Um, uh, you know, and I, I think all of us, when we go through some tough times, we, you know, we think that way for a little bit, but then we, you know, recenter and, and we have to go forward. Um, otherwise, I mean, it's, it's gotta be, you know, you just don't feel like you're alone if you, if you have your faith. Um, you know, what do you tell those people? You know, honestly, it's, it's hard. And I understand that. Um, and like you said, everyone has to go through the stages of grief, right? Like those stages of loss and grief, they're not for, you know, if you lose someone, it's if you lose jobs, if you, anything that's traumatic, everyone goes through those stages and that's normal. Um, but for those people that get stuck, it's it's hard. I I, I do. I am an advocate for um, talking with someone, a counselor, someone that can just listen to you and maybe help you refocus your energy. Um, it's easy to be angry and blame someone, um, but it takes a lot more, right? To for us to switch our way of thinking and really push through things. Um, so I, you know, everyone's a little different and I do tell people you have to give yourself grace. Uh, cause I think sometimes we, we think we just have to pop right into something and out of it and keep going. And, you know, we have to give each other grace and for ourselves as well, take the time to grieve Take the time to be sad. Take the time to be angry. Um, but once you get that time and then say, okay, that's done. It's something I went through. It doesn't define me. It's just part of my story. And I have to grow from that. You know, you can't let uh, a traumatic experience in your life be you. You just have to grow from that and let it be something that went you went through and you got past and helped you be, be a better, stronger person. Um, because if not, it can just lead you into a dark tunnel. It's great advice. The pellets. So you're now you're over here, and you know I, I don't think you probably knew a lot about testosterone. You know, back in you know your your traditional medical days uh, per se. Um, what was the biggest surprise about learning about BHRT? Honestly, I, I knew a little bit. Um, I've had a lot, I had issues, um, in my personal health with hormones. Um, and for a long, you know, I've seen an infertility endocrinologist and things like that. And, um, my doctors and I was always just told, I don't know, you're fine. It's just, 
maybe you're depressed. And so, uh, you know, they did the what they do. They just give you a pill and they say, well, <laughs> you go along your way. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. you know, I, yeah. There were times where I went to the doctor and I told him, like, I don't understand. I'm working out and I just, all my energy drains and I l- have to just lay there. I don't have the energy to move. This isn't normal. I, I should be able to keep moving. Well, I don't know. Everything looks fine. Um, maybe you're just depressed. <laughs> it was always the, the, the answer for everything. Um, and so I struggled with that, you know, just thinking like, well, maybe I'm just broken. There's something wrong and everyone says there's nothing wrong. So I, I don't know. I guess it's just how it is. You just, I just got to push through things a little harder than most people. Um, so definitely not a fun experience. Um, but now knowing all of this, it really has changed my life. Um, uh, I've started doing pellets, um, cause my hormones were, uh, zero pretty much on everything I, on all of them. Um, and now I have the energy to go home and I don't feel like going to sleep as soon as I get home. I have the energy to cook and clean and uh, walk my dog a couple of times in the evening. Um, I don't feel, you know, fa- muscle fatigue. I like dancing and um, I'm part of a dance team. And so I can go to practice and practice for a few hours and not feel like I got hit by a train. I mean, it's amazing because you're, you know, you're told eat healthy, drink lots of water. Um, my mom's 83 years old and she probably drank maybe a total of about a gallon of water her entire life. And, um, you know, she's still alive. Um, but you know, you're, so you, you know, you're drinking all this water every day. And, you know, I remember, you know, when I just going to work and, you know, making sure I went to the water cool, which the water is in a plastic container and you're drinking out of a plastic cup. And I remember a coworker of mine, he literally would bring a case of water into work and, uh, you know, he'd probably drink, you know, close to a case a day. And I don't think I ever saw him cause he was in the bathroom a lot, but, um, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're actually increasing your, um, your body's, uh, inability to produce testosterone, um, because you're getting all the plastics and, and all the chemicals associated with that. Uh, during the day. And so traditional medicine is telling you, you know, drink water and, you know, eat cereal and, you know, don't eat anything that's high fat and eat all the fake stuff. And at the end of the day, just, you're just becoming sicker and sicker and you don't know it. And you're banging your head against the wall because you're, you think you're doing all the right things. The doctor's confirming you're doing all the right things and they turn around and tell you you're depressed or, um, you know, you're suffering maybe from some chronic fatigue syndrome, which, um, you know, I don't even know if there's an official diagnosis on that at this point, um, or you have that dead leg or whatever it is. So it's just, um, it's just a kind of a weird world that we live in right now. And, um, that's why I think, you know, uh, optimal bio, I believe is on the forefront of, you know, revolutionizing medicine, you know, to some extent where we're, you know, getting, you know, your hormones back, uh, in balance and hopefully that, you know, makes you more healthy going forward. So we're grateful that you're here. Yeah, me too. I'm super happy to be here and getting to meet all the new patients here. And it's fun. It's it's really nice to hear their stories too. So what do you like to do for fun besides dance, walk your dog, and um, what else? Um, that, I think those are the main parts. You know, uh, dancing is a big part of my life. That's um, my exercise and my way to like a therapy in a way, uh, because when you're dancing, especially when if you're dancing with a partner, you're not focused on what happened yesterday, what's happened, what's going to happen tomorrow, or even five minutes from now, you're focused on the moment. You're focused on that connection you have with the partner you're dancing with at the moment and making sure that as a follow, you're listening to their body language and dancing and having a good time. And um, so everything else just kind of falls to the wayside. Um, so it's my, my, my therapy. Um, but also I, I do enjoy hiking. Um, I haven't gotten anywhere since I moved here um, just because I've been busy with 
moving and getting my apartment together and everything. But um, I'm looking forward to getting some hikes. I did just order a little backpack to stick my dog in. I have a little Shih Tzu, so she can't she can't you know hang for too long. But I have a little backpack to throw her in, so I'm really excited to use that on her. <laughs> she might not be excited, but she will after a while when she's tired and she could just hop on your back and she's good to go, right? Um, so what kind of dance? So I do Latin dancing, um, mainly bachata, which is a Dominican dance and some salsa. Um, I do a little bit of all of them, but those are the main two that, uh, I do. I'm with a, actually a dance company that's located in Hampton Roads. Um, and we dance bachata, um, bachata vida dance company. Um, when we do performances, things like that, we actually just had a, uh, spring fling, uh, this past weekend. Basically it was just a bunch of events on Thursday and Friday and then Saturday, uh, we had a bunch of classes with instructors that flew in from um, Texas, L.A. We had DJs come from New York and other places around the area um, and lots of social dancing. And it was fun. Wow. Yeah. That sounds great. I didn't know you were a performer as well. I am. Yeah. <laughs> we may have to get you to do a TikTok video uh, for Automobile at some point in time. Maybe I could teach everyone how to dance a little bit, but chat the do a That'd little video with that. That'd be oh. fun. I'll be your toughest uh, uh, student, but if you can teach me, you can teach anybody. I'm telling you, everyone can dance. Yeah. I don't care I'm what like you say. Tree in the wind. I just sway back and forth and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we usually conclude, we always conclude actually with five takeaways that our guest likes to partake to the rest of us. So um, what do you have for us today? Um, so I would say... First of all, um, be your own advocate and be, you know, an advocate for your loved ones. Don't settle for you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. Um, if there's something wrong with you, find other avenues, find other people, um, whether it's, you know, hormone replacement or finding a functional medicine doctor that can better assist you. Um, just don't let people make you feel like you're crazy just because they don't understand what you're feeling. Um, so that's one. Um, two, I would say give yourself grace. No matter what you're going through in life, we have to put ourselves first at some point. Throughout, even if it every day, throughout the day, take five minutes to put yourself first and do something just for you. Um, it's not selfish. It's just self-love. Um, you know, Whatever it is that makes you happy, whether that's just sitting down and drinking a nice cup of coffee, looking outside, let the birds, so it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it makes you happy, take that time for yourself um, and just be patient with yourself. You know, don't, there's so many high standards out there, especially with social media sometimes that we think we have to achieve these crazy things that we don't, we just have to live a good life and just keep going. It's okay. Um, let's see. Um, life is about a balance. You know, balance your work, your your social life, your your health. When it comes to health, it's all about balance as well. Um, balancing our hormones. You know, everything has to be in a nice balance. Uh, if you overdo something, you know, you're gonna throw your your whole body out of control. So just just live a balanced life. I think if everyone just lived a little bit more balanced and everything we did, it'd be a little bit better um, rather than overdoing things because um, our bodies aren't made for over over anything, really. It likes to be in a nice equi equilibrium, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's see. I just... I'm, I want people to dance more <laughs> just because it's fun. And I think it's even if it's, and it's not about dancing like you see people on TV. It's just about moving your body and just enjoying the music for a few minutes a day. Um, and last, 
see, I should have been taking better notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, just, you know, um, I think a lot of life is also about how you go into it, but what mentality you go into it. Um, So if you're having a rough day, just smile, even if it's a fake smile, that fake smile will, uh, will turn into a real smile just because you're, you know, that's how our body works. If you go into something thinking negative, you're, it's going to spread. I don't know if you've ever been in a room where someone's in a bad mood, it kind of puts you in a bad mood. So I always try to, when something, the atmosphere feels wrong and the people feel wrong, I try to be that person that, you know, just smile at them. It's contagious and it'll, it'll help change the environment around you. So yeah, that's it. Great stuff. Hey, this was great. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you better. Um, you're top 10 in my book, and uh, we're glad that uh, you're part of Bio. So thank you. You did a great job. Thank you, and I'm glad to be part of Bio as well. Thank you for having me. Well, if you guys are ever in Charlottesville, come visit Christian Davis in our Charlottesville location. Until next time, everybody, thank you. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brandon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brandon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Grabencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. Thank you.